Hello and welcome to a new year, a new season, and a new episode of Pirate Block Radio here at CKUT 90.3 FM. If you have been listening for a while, then you're probably familiar with me by now. But for those who tune in for the very first time, my name is Malta Leander, and I'm your host, guiding you through these episodes that usually revolve around topics such as digital new media art in a variety of mediums, often focused on local artists and creators that share some more um, in-depth reflections upon their artworks or approaches to their creations. Pirate Block Radio is part of the Arts Centre Eastern Block here in Jejage, also known as Montreal, located on unceded indigenous lands. This month, we get a mishmash of previous episodes from the archives throughout the years. We get to hear Roby Provost talk about work featured in a previous data salon that focused on work in progress from video game artists. We also get a deep dive into the composer Gol Pesar's work and a discussion together with a past resident artist, Peter Fleming, around his work in the lab at Eastern Block. So let's kick it off today with this talk with Roby Provost as part of Data Salon 30 back in 2017. Welcome back to CKUT 90.3 FM. You're listening to Power Block Radio. You will now hear an interview with Robbie Provost talking about his work at Eastern Block for the Data Salon series. Bon, Robbie, bienvenue à Eastern Block et à Power Block Radio. Merci pour être venu ce soir pour nous en parler de, de les arcades. Oui. Um, so, Robbie, maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, about. Uh, about because you're the commissaire on this project, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about your project and the other projects that you picked. Yeah. Um, well, my project is actually a collaboration with uh, Gilles Delon, mm-hmm. and um, it's actually the first time that we've been collaborating together. Okay. Um, I usually do more narrative type game, and Gilles is usually more doing. Uh, exploration base uh, and since he has a practice more in visual art he likes to um, play mostly with the visual aspect what the games look like mm-hmm. um, he likes to call his game more like a, how, does, how does he actually call it like interactive tableau or something mm-hmm. like that um, so the uh, the genre peinture digital or something okay, like okay. not interactive. I think he oh, says peinture digital. Because he was the other commissar, co-commissar. Yes, exactly. But unfortunately, he's not here this week. No. So for our for a collaboration, actually, we're mm-hmm. gonna try to do more of a arcade style, mm-hmm. arcade style game, where uh, you know times matter. It's like short games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a co-op fishing game where. <laughs> Uh, one of the players actually controlling the boat as a big bear and the uh, other one is the fisherman mm-hmm. um, and really the idea is uh, to try to have this sort of weird competition of uh, you know like when you go fishing usually it's who has the biggest fish or who did the biggest or most crazy catch mm-hmm. 
So that's sort of the feeling that we're trying to recreate in the gallery of like, let's say we play together and we end up picking, you know, a big crape uh, soleil or something like that, oh, right. then we might brag about it. Mm -hmm. And then some people might try to, you know, get a bigger fish or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's um, more light, more, mm -hmm. more of a light arcade mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. Hopefully people are gonna dig it. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, we picked a bunch of other games ranging from some more uh, old school, low graphic visual games mm -hmm. to uh, some VR projects as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you have more of an installation piece mm -hmm. too that's more of a physical thing. So I don't know. So, so, qui les artistes qui présentent ça? Les artistes, the list is pretty long. I'll try to not Mais forget. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Me, no? sure. Um, so, uh, we have uh, Alvaro uh, mm -hmm. Salvagno who's presenting more of a old school sort of, let's say even Commodore 64 mm -hmm. type game. We have uh, Penelope et Chloe, that mm -hmm. is usually a, a duo, mm -hmm. working with Geneviève Lebleur on um, more of the physical installation. Mm -hmm. I think Geneviève is going, to be doing, is going to be doing projection on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have Miriam Boucher and her collective called Fantasem, mm -hmm. who are going to work on a VR piece that I saw a previous version of. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going to change it. Mm -hmm. uh, very beautiful piece. Um, we're gonna see Grand Bruit, Grand mm -hmm. Bruit, which I think you're part of. Yes. Uh, maybe you want to talk about that one? Uh, no? Okay. okay. Well, uh, yeah, I can talk a little bit yeah. about it. So, the, well, yeah, let's talk about everybody else's pieces first. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Hope Erin, who's working on Hot Dog Bijou, who's a <laughs> dog. My favorite title for all the, all the games. I it's a pretty good title, <laughs> I must say. So, yeah, she's working on that, like, cute dog uh, exploration game. Okay. That's as much as I know about it. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, Alex, who's uh, working on, I don't even know how to pronounce that one, that one. Mm -hmm. Trapezier, tra okay. Trapezier, okay. Trapezier <laughs> which is more of a uh, narrative slash text game. Okay, thank you. Nice. What else do we have? Uh, Ganesh, oh, Baron Alois. Mm -hmm. Who's working on the deadline demain matin? Who's a uh, which is a um, connect slash installation game? Mm -hmm. um, and then Megan Vogel is working uh, on Adotech, which is uh, I'd say half a. It's usually it's actually a web piece, mm -hmm. a web game usually, but mm -hmm. she's gonna try to turn this into a uh, more of an installation piece with um, multiple screen. Mm -hmm. um, Kind of a board game. It's actually a, a modified board game. Okay. And I think that's it. Alexandre Lemire's game. Actually, I'm just gonna re reset it. Say mm -hmm. just to have his last name. So Alexandre Lemire's game is Trapes. Um, I don't even know how you pronounce that one Trapes. actually. Um, and yeah, it's more of a narrative. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Web web game as well. It's usually mm -hmm. a web game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Apollo Owns, uh, we have this project that I'm part of a collective and we're presenting a game called Apollo Owns. The collective is called, the collective is called Grand Prix. And it's, uh, we, at one point, one of the members in the collective found the text that Nixon's speechwriter had written in case the Apollo Owns mission was unsuccessful. And it's like this big text about like, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're devastated and we tried, you know, making it, but we, we didn't. And, that sort of thing, and so we, we got really inspired from this te text about making a game, and originally the, the idea was the game you already lost, or like mm -hmm. the game you can't win or something like that. 
And so um, we kind of played with that idea at first, but now it's evolved much farther than that. And yeah, so it's kind of just like you're trying to land on the moon, but um, you're kind of going through uh, the narrative of um, this spaceman that uh, is inspired by Michael Collins, who is one of the um, astronauts who was on the Apollo 1's mission, but actually didn't land on the moon. He's like the only of the three that, or whatever, one of the, the only guy who went who didn't land on the moon. So it's like this idea of him watching <laughs> people falling and dying and kind of reflecting on that. Very funny, very light yeah, theme. It's, it's like, you know, yeah, you know how I do. I do light themes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that project. But um, yeah, um, we, Eastern Block had, um, had this idea for doing an arcade and kind of presenting um, video games that were atypical and also more of a perspective of, you know, maybe a critical approach to what a video game can be. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we reached out to you because we know you as our video game go-to guy and because we like the work that you've done on video games Thanks. before. And so this is kind of how this project came to be. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually just finished a meeting talking about where yeah. everything's going to sit in the space. Yeah. What do you think? Is it going to be good? Uh, I think so. Well, we'll see, obviously. I think it's... Uh, well, you, you just said like, how things are going to look in the space, and I think that's where uh, uh, it would be easy, let's say, to just you know put video game in the space. But I think for it to really come together, you really need to think about, you know, like a, as you would do in a regular art show, like how do you want stuff to come together, whether stuff needs to be more insulation based or whether you need like, we were asking uh, artists very basic questions such as, do you want your game to be played while sitting or standing, which makes a difference if you're going to play like a narrative or like more slow paced game, you obviously don't want to be like standing in the uncomfortable position for like seven minutes trying to, you know, yeah. complete the game. So there's, there's a lot of... Um, mood slash physical aspect to game that we that we could quickly you know just forget about yeah. and it, it definitely changed the way that you approach the, the games in general um yeah some games benefit from having more of a physical mm -hmm. insulation and that's actually something that you can do once you decide to exhibit them if they're just you know straight up on the internet uh, even the web games that we have uh, right now we could uh, transfer them directly, just projecting them on the screen, but mm -hmm. does that do them justice? Should we, should we try to go to different directions? So I think there's a lot of interesting things that we can do with game as a medium. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we need to think about mm -hmm. how we're going to present them. What inspires you about video games? Um, obviously, coming up as a teen in the early 2000s, playing on playing Sonic uh, while growing up and then getting the Sega Dreamcast, which I like to focus on right now. Um, it was, I guess, how I spent my time when I was a young kid, you know, mm -hmm. whether playing, I was playing Warcraft 2 online, mm -hmm. like so many matches <laughs> back to back. Um, I didn't know at first I would get more as in art practice, mm -hmm. but it was just something that was so uh, mm -hmm. everywhere when mm -hmm. I was a kid. Um, that it definitely made its way through my practice. I think as well that um, 
the two medium that was like the closest to was cinema, which mm -hmm. like offers a very linear experience and, and like it's a time-based experience, but it's like set from A to Z mm -hmm. and you watch it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like the freedom of, um, especially when like adventure games sort of got more popular on 3D console where like you have huge world, you're not mm -hmm. stuck to like level based like Mario mm -hmm. or Sonic where it's mm -hmm. like it's still linear mm -hmm. in that sort of sense. Yeah, totally. So um I guess I like the freedom of uh, mm -hmm. how you speak your narrative, what the player can do, that mm -hmm. kind of interaction. So I don't know, I guess why is it there? Just because it's always been uh, around when I was a, mm -hmm. a teenager mm -hmm. and it just gave me so many ideas of like mm -hmm. what could be possible in a video game. Yeah. No, that's great. I think that's a good reflection. I mean, uh, especially when, like, I don't know, with, with, I don't know, you know, we're talking about technology a little bit, uh, always on the show, but just how technology is evolving and, and uh, how games help us question things. I don't mm -hmm. know, that's my interest with games is, is, is something that's um, been in society since like the beginning. Yeah. And now it's something that's being exploited into these mediums where we can live fantastically through them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same, I kind of draw the same correlation with what I, I enjoy about science fiction, is that it allows us to live like an, our current reality, but in a different, from a different lens. Yep. And so it's like a, a voyeurism that gets to happen there, and that's what I find interesting about video games, personally. There's a bunch of things, yeah. I guess, to find interesting. That's one for sure. And you mentioned that it was there since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like game is just i think another way to interact with other human being mm -hmm. through a different set of rules you know mm -hmm. if we're going to play chess mm -hmm. there's objective and there's stuff that we can do mm -hmm. uh, obviously there's um kind of a not the domination sort of effect but like there's going to be a winner yeah. a loser and we're yeah. sort of opposing each other mm -hmm. uh with like basically strategy how mm -hmm. can i predict what you're going to do mm -hmm. how do you move on a board you know mm -hmm. is it like kind of a war simulation mm -hmm. up to a point, so. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's interesting that a lot of games now, you see, especially indie games, are questioning that, whether it's, uh, whether winning and losing is a purpose, yeah. you know, it's a... Uh, For sure. It's a good, a good reflection to have. And Definitely. I feel like, yeah, maybe at some point in time, this was sort of a uh, go-to thing, you know, mm -hmm. why do you play a game? I need to win, or I need to be the best one, or whatever. And yeah, definitely, I like, all that to say, like even Jules Delon, who's my mm -hmm. um, partner on this game, most of his game usually are very open-ending on like what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And even um, his previous game called uh, La Guilde de Damoclès mm -hmm. is a game where you're collecting swords. You don't know exactly why you're collecting swords. You don't mm -hmm. know how many swords you need to collect. The swords actually just uh, respawn mm -hmm. almost forever. You have no clue how many swords you need to collect. Mm -hmm. Well, when you start collecting swords, you don't ask yourself that question. No, right? you. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you're actually collecting sword, and he, I guess, in order to make it uh, sort of feel like a real first-person shooter yeah. game, he added a shotgun that actually shoots shotguns. Okay. And even though you shoot shotguns on whatever creature being that are around, you cannot actually harm them. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily get anything from shooting them. So why would you shoot them mm -hmm. in the first place? Mm -hmm. So definitely, I think the idea of uh, like violence that we mostly see in video games, sort of winning points. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a, a topic that I think I feel like a bunch of people are actually questioning or using as a research point when mm -hmm. doing video games. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, do we always need to win in the end? Do we? Are we winning? Are we losing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Robbie, thanks very much for coming uh, to the Eastern Block and having a few beers with us and yeah. talking about uh, the uh, Data Salon Arcade that's yeah. happening on April 13th at Eastern Block. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Talk well, soon. thanks to you. All right. Let's move on over to an in-depth discussion with Gold Pesar in 2019. This episode contained a longer stretch of an improvised performance that I won't be playing today, but that you can listen to in its entirety on Mixcloud if you look up episode 33 of Pirate Rock Radio. You just heard an experimental and poetically infused sonic landscape by Gold Pesar. Thank you for performing for us, Uzbe. Thank you for having me. Um, it was wonderful. <laughs> Sorry, we were not prepared for this. We didn't know you were going to end so quickly. So, <laughs> um, Would you like to explain a bit of your creative process for composing what you describe as circular narratives? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... For me, Circular Narratives first came um, was a, actually a quote from an, an interview with um, the artist Jenny Vell, um, who I like a lot, and she was describing her work as um, uh, uh, a house full of rooms, basically. Her album is a house full of rooms, and how every track was like a, a kind of appearing into an entire kind of microcosm. And um, and I and I really like that about her work. And when I make sets or even um, albums, I like to have that that um, that element to it. That idea of like you're kind of peeking at a lot of mm -hmm. different things, but without getting the full story on anything. And you can you can sense that too. I know when we were listening, well, when I had the headphones in in the booth. Um, you took us to a lot of different spaces. Like I almost saw what you wanted me to see, but could you describe a little bit about uh, what you want your audience to see? Like what are you visualizing when you're playing, when you're making this? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's a good point. It's, it's funny that you talk about um, seeing things mm -hmm. um, because I, I feel like it is very visual, mm -hmm. um, at least when I... When I'm making music, I often I, I see colors and shapes more than I I perhaps even listen to oh, things. It kind of feels like a collage more than it does a, a making a track or or something. Um, so I'm I'm not too sure what, what I want what I want the audience to see. It's more of a, a general kind of feeling of of uncanniness. Or yeah. Like, just this, like, a bit of humor, a bit of seriousness, a bit of darkness. Yeah. yeah. But is there a world that you visualize? Or, like, is it, like, underground in a subway? Or, like, is it in a desert? Is it in an apocalyptic dystopian, like, yeah. era? What is it that you... Um, honestly, I don't... I, I really don't know. Hmm, like, okay. that, that's not something I ever asked myself. But I feel like a lot of people come to me with remarks about about how they feel like it's apocalyptic or how they <laughs> feel like it's terrifying or, or like, you know, moody or doomy. But I, I never, it's not really something that, that crosses my mind personally. It, it wasn't intentional. That's not what you, you didn't set out to 
um, to have a, that mood? Yeah, no, not not really, mm-hmm. not really. Or maybe, maybe I guess, maybe I, f- I just I find it a bit easy to to describe something as like dark. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not really saying much about about the thing. Yeah. So I kind of I tend to steer away from from those adjectives. Fair and uh, actually earlier just before you did your set um we were talking about um describing music and would you describe what you played as music and then you said you're starting to call it sound art and can you talk a little bit about um the difference between sound art and music and your relationship to that yeah yeah i i also said how i felt like an asshole <laughs> describing <laughs> describing my music as sound art um i don't i don't really know i mean for me at at the end of the day it doesn't really change what i'm doing right what i what i call it or what i um how i describe it to other people um i think the interest of of calling it sound art to to musicians or sound artists if you will is is that I feel like the landscape of contemporary music or contemporary electronic music is mm-hmm. changing a lot. It doesn't ne- it doesn't just exist in underground parties or clubs. It exists in galleries, it exists in venues, it exists in, in all sorts of places that art exists. And so I think um mus- musicians are finding it more um accurate to call themselves sound artists like mm-hmm. when you're making installation or doing performative work or or um or playing just in in a gallery for example it may it kind of reflects more what you're doing the landscape of what you're doing outside of just the a musician because that comes yeah. with a lot of historical baggage right yeah. being a musician yeah totally um and um, I just had more of a curiosity, a question. Um, I know that, for instance, like on the rare occasion, I make sometimes mixes, and I think about how I want or where I want people to listen to them. And um, sometimes I actually really like when people enjoy listening to music on the metro. So a lot of the mixes I do, um, it's so that people can listen to it in transit. Um, is there some place that you... Is there like a preferred setting where you want people to enjoy? Um, that's interesting. I think that whenever whenever I make sets or mixes, um, or even albums, they always start out as being live sets, mm-hmm. and then they become albums because I like how they sound. But um, so it's always more. It's 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 a a certain like venue on a given time. It's, I'm thinking more of like people in crowds okay. and like a certain time that I am thinking of like like the metro for like transit or stuff like that okay so your process is more you do, like you are put into a space and then you kind of adapt it, within that yeah sonically exactly okay. yeah yeah really really sweet um I'm actually interested in your uh sampling um since uh you've mentioned well you you, you refer in your music a bit of your uh, Iranian heritage um, where do you um, source your samples from? Um, like, what's the, what do they mean? Um, <clears throat> so I I source my samples from kind of the same place. I source I source my Iranian samples from kind of the same place I source all my other samples. Okay. So it's a mix of online of mm-hmm. 
old CDs from my parents mm. or family friends. Um, really, you you dig into old CDs? I love that. Yeah, so nice. I, I I commission family you? friends to oh give God, me CDs. But that's sweet. That does refer to like the the memories. Like it's really yeah. like real DIY. Like oh. it actually it's part of people's. Like it's not just like oh music. It's really I don't know. It's yeah, more, it has a more. It's like a, a collage almost of yeah. history and. Yeah, and for me, it, it, the process of of getting the sounds is is also the process of like getting closer to family <laughs> and friends <laughs> and unveiling memories mm -hmm. because uh, I mean I, I grew up in a family where we like a very loving family, but a family that didn't share much. Okay, and so it's almost like when when I started kind of digging in these Iranian sound in like the, these sounds of Iranian music, I also started digging in like the stories of my parents or my mm -hmm. grandparents and my family. And then, you know, I, and it's almost like I would be the one being like to like my mom, for example, being like, Hey, have you heard this track from like, <laughs> that traditional per like, or like that Persian pop star from like when she was young mm -hmm. and she'd be like, oh, how does it go again? And then like, I try to sing it to her and then mm -hmm. she's like, Oh yeah, that's really good. You know, but it's, It's funny that the process is like is almost reversed, you know. It's yeah. like I'm the one going like, "Hey, have you heard this song?" You know, because they don't really, they're not the type to like to be like, hey, "Listen to that, listen to this." Yeah, totally. Yeah. And apart from like music uh, inspiration, do you do you get inspired by like artifacts, like f like pictures, maybe of like like. Yeah, pictures, writings, uh, videos from maybe family footage or for your pieces. Because mm. I kind of felt like I, mm -hmm. I don't know, it might. Yeah, I mean it. It, I mean, and like the album cover, like my my album cover, for example, is an old picture of my is dad. It? Yeah, in in Tehran, and like he was a baby, and like my grandmother holding him, like in their backyard, for example. You know, um, so there is this footage I mean there is this visual kind of story as well but it it definitely is more at the sonic okay. level but like the sounds can come from Iranian movies or come from poetry you know but it's still it's still sound and it's a way to I think reconnect to your heritage especially the uh, being in Montreal and maybe not all of your family is in Montreal and it's a way to kind of share just like you said maybe in a family that doesn't share too much it's a way to kind of go back in your history of the songs that they used to listen to now that you listen to and you're completely repurposing um something that was so meaningful to them and now to you um and how do how do like do you play this stuff to them what do they say when they hear like an 80s pop star in <laughs> yeah i mean that's I, I do play it, but I for the longest time I was terrified of of playing it Fishy, to yeah. to them because I was like, what the you know? What are they gonna say? Are, are they gonna be like, why are you butchering these? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so I was I was kind of very afraid, but it's I've only received really positive reactions, okay. and and that kind of makes me think of the fear too of like reconsider that fear of of showing this to them and why I had that fear and where that was coming from, you know, and realizing that that fear is not from, is not from a place of my peers. It's from a place of, 
outside. You know, it's a fear that's installed. It's very deeply entrenched, but it's very, it's not justified at all. Because all the, all the Iranian people that hear it really kind of, I mean, it's the most beautiful, it's like the most rewarding thing is to hear, mm -hmm. is to hear them be like, wow, that, that was something or that brought me this memory or that memory or that resonated so deeply with me. So I think that, that for me is the, the most rewarding thing. Yeah. To have them listen to what you, and have they seen you live? Like has your family or your mom like gone to <laughs> a yeah, live she was show? At a, she was at my show last weekend. Oh, I love moms at raves. Terrified. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Moms at raves, but she was like, she was afraid. Like I had to like be like, mom, you can, get in the room like she was because it was dark and loud but we yeah but, we, but the, I, she survived though and she she survived she said she liked it but you know but her fear was what her fear that was that to, to see you live or it was to be in a completely different unknown environment to her? i mean i think it's just that environment right i mean so many people who aren't 55 year old iranian women would not feel comfortable <laughs> in those yeah. settings so I mean, you know. But there's something I think so interesting uh, with the history of how and what brings people to raves, especially when it's like the minority crowd. Um, and there's always a story, like the story in this case, like if a random person maybe asked your mom, why are you here? You know, like it's it's a beautiful story. And I think that exploring that is super interesting, like what brings this niche community into like a 5 a.m. rave on Durashi. Imagine. <laughs> she hasn't come to a 5 a.m. one yet. No, okay. And I haven't played that one yet. So. Okay. Well, here's to all the promoters. Exactly. <laughs> Get him to play on Durashi. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Yep. Oh, it was really beautiful. Um, I had some other questions and I think I forgot, but I'm going to look at my Google notes. Mm. Okay. Um... Yeah, actually, I was more just curious. What do what are the women saying in in your samples in Farsi? What are they? Um, there's a lot of them. I mean, I could I could start by just naming some of the people. For example, one is um, Farouk Farouzad, who um, who's one of the most important contemporary poets in Iran, um, who. Um, who died a tragic death very young, but she she was considered as spearheading Iranian poetry to kind of like the contemporary stage. Like really, really big person. And also... In what year? Um, this was uh, a bit before the revolution. Okay. And then a bit during the revolution. Okay. But, um, yeah, but and, and she speaks a lot about love and about lust and all these things that were really taboo for an Iranian woman at that for any woman at that mm -hmm. in those years actually um <clears throat> and so it's quite beautiful to to hear to hear her speak and um she also made a documentary about a colony of lepers outside of Iran called a colony of leopards the, uh, lepers okay Lepre. I was like I did not hear that <laughs> okay <perfect>. wild animal <laughs> she was on the more. discovery channel no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a colony of lepers. Like, but all this to show, like, what a kind of like a fearless spirit she was. Of yeah. you know, um, and then a true activist. Oh my God, yes, 
really inspiring person yeah. and a lot of her poetry is translated to english so you can okay beautiful. you can read her um quite easily what was her name again Farouk Farouzad. okay yeah and then the rest i mean are a lot of um iranian some of them are persian pop singers hmm. um so like before the revolution um and some of them are traditional um iranian singers and uh and yeah, I, I like to sample Gugush a lot. Gugush is like the Persian Celine Dion. But, wow, with but, a name like that, how can you not better. be? <laughs> it's so much better. Gugush. Gugush, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, the track that you heard in the set was from her. Yeah. Um, and is there any, like, have you, how, how deep have you gone digging into Iranian music? Like, have you discovered the niche, like, genres and where the... The evolution, yeah, um, through time came. Not not that deep, actually. I'm not um, not that I'm not a crate digger, okay, or a DJ at heart. But mm -hmm. I just it's hard to balance um, creating and composing with mm. with searching because when you're making music, you can't listen to music because you're making your own music. Fair, yeah, and it's not, it's something that. <laughs> That yeah. Does that bug you? It bugs me. Yeah, okay. it bugs me. I'd I'd love to have more time to just listen to music, discover yeah, discover and catalog and stuff. Because I, when I play live, I kind of, it it ends up kind of feeling like a weird DJ set. It, it, you know, does you, it? Yeah, yeah. It, it ends up being. It, it feels that way. So I'd like to have a bit more time to to develop that sometime. Um. But have you? Have you been to Iran? Have you gone back recently? Yeah, I mean, recently, no. Last time was eight years ago. And okay. and it's complicated going back there. Yeah, you were talking about that last time. political reasons, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting, like, do they have record stores? Is that something that you would be curious into looking into? And That's a good question. I don't know if the... If, I actually have no idea of like the vinyl comeback. No, ha like is a thing there. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'd be really curious. I mean, I know there's, I know there's a like, great experimental electronic scene there going mm -hmm. on now, um, spearheaded by this artist called Sote, S O T E, who's an insane electronic artist, um, who. Um, with a few other people started this festival called Set Festival, S-E-T. And, um, where, where is that? It's in Tehran. Okay. And this festival collaborates with CTM every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so things, and it's completely legal. And these are electronic Iranian artists making really avant-garde electronic music. So, um, so it's still a well-kept secret and yet, it's really it's a, quite amazing what they do. So, so that I'm very aware of. I don't I don't know what else is. No, but how how does the um, traditional Iranian community react to this electronic music scene? Are they welcoming of it? Are they understanding? Or are they very against? I, mean, I don't I don't know. No. Right? I I need to be there. But I think. I mean, when I was there, people it's like it's the internet. Everyone listens to everything, right? Yeah. Um, electronic music is an interesting one because it's not, 
it's completely legal there because it's not perceived as a, pot a potential political threat, I guess. But uh, does it not attract a crowd that might be, you know, less traditional, like that attracts a lot of LGBTQ community that kind yeah, of... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can only imagine it does, yeah. yeah. I can only imagine this, but... You don't know. But I don't know, yeah. Hmm, that'd be very interesting. Yeah. Um, you actually shared recently a podcast about experimental music in Iran. Yeah. I remember listening to it, and it was explaining how at these shows, I think it was illegal to dance, yeah. and people were just sitting down, and I feel like it's a completely different experience to experimental music, and people are really, it's, it's more like a contemplative experience, and I just felt that it was really hmm. fascinating. Yeah, the, the, the rapport, like, with the... I don't know. With this, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember thinking that too. I mean, I've I've been to a lot of shows where people sit down here yeah. also. But it's true that when, I mean, some of these artists play like crazy beats. And like, I was thinking actually, like how hard would it be to like be sitting down during like these crazy beats? Like the only thing you want to do is get up and dance. But also as the performer, maybe like you you perform off of that energy and like there's just totally. people are yeah. <laughs> sitting in Yeah, there. that's a really good point actually. It must make it so much more challenging to to perform that high yeah. energy music without the feedback of like a dance floor going nuts. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah, but I mean this is the beauty of sound and electronic music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do you Sam is um, talking to me via code what? <laughs> um, I guess we could slip into some music soon and then we could Sweet. go oh, back yeah. and maybe continue the discussion afterwards if you're interested. Yeah, Sam yeah. had some music that she actually curated based off of your set today. I cannot wait to Your hear this. just inspired by your sounds. And thank um, you for coming. This is so sweet. I'm so happy that um, you came. And um, he just released an album. Uh, yeah. Maybe do you want to talk about? Yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can plug in, <laughs> I can advertise a bit. Um, it's called Khane, uh, and um, it's released under my artist name Gold Pesar. Khane is spelled K H A N E H, and it's on the Montreal label Dream Disc Lab, alongside a lot of other good works in that label. Um, so yeah, check it out. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, and I think we'll talk a little bit later. And, uh... Yeah, and Sam is going to mix for us. Thank you for having me. And lastly, for today's archival episode here at CKUT 90.3 FM, we are listening to a discussion with Peter Fleming, who had a residency with Eastern Bloc in 2017. So welcome to Power Block Radio. Thanks, it's good to be here. <laughs> Um, this is actually, we don't do a lot of these pre-recorded, so we're just going to fly off the seat of our cuffs here and, okay. and see how it goes. Okay. Um, usually this is always live, but we're here during um, Peter's office hours slash his, inter uh, not internship, his, <laughs> his internship at Eastern Black. <laughs> Wait, his, his residency at Eastern Black. Yeah, we changed it. I forgot oh, to tell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, welcome. Thanks. Um, I'm going to grade you at the end of this interview okay. for, your, for your internship. It was good to be here. <laughs> Um, 
So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your practice, actually? For the... uh, sure. Uh, I've been an artist active for, depends how you count it, but almost 20 years. And I've generally worked with, uh, I'd say I work with systems, and sometimes systems that involve kinetics, like things that move around, almost always electronics, sound. Uh, solar power, electromagnetics, mm -hmm. kind of uh, uh, a little bit of informal engineering, informal physics, and kind of on the border between art, science, stuff. Hmm. Usually manifesting as installations, sometimes as performances. And installations are quite often resolved on site uh, and involve a high degree of improvisation. What is it about systems that like inspires you to create work? Mm. Well, they're kind of open-ended, and they can be uh, constantly added to you, constantly edited, uh, constantly be in evolution. And I find with systems, it's possible for me to create these situations where I can uh, take a whole bunch of relatively simple elements and I can add them all together and put them into a complex system mm -hmm. and I can create a system that I don't really have the ability to fully understand what's going on mm -hmm. and I kind of like that I like when you can make something that has surprising or emergent behaviors to yourself even as the creator and then and then it's the fun part is uh, or the interesting part, challenging part, is trying to then understand it and see what's going on. And mm -hmm. it's kind of a tool for contemplation or a tool for, uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know, provoking uh, thought, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's interesting because you also yeah. mentioned systems and uh, improvisation like within the same sentence. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think when we think of systems, we don't necessarily think of improvisation as well. It yeah. all, you know. So uh, how do you resolve those two uh, practices together? Uh, there's not really a con... Well, there's lots of contradictory things, I guess, within my own practice or with anyone, anyone's practice, but those two things don't really seem to have a... Uh, they exist alongside each other pretty well. Like, um, when I say improvisation, uh, I think I mean... Um, like it's not completely just pulling stuff randomly out of out of the air it's more like i arrive in a situation which is usually a exhibition at a gallery or uh at some kind of space and i have a i have a toolkit uh so it's more like i have a schematic or a framework with me and i have a vocabulary of materials techniques uh different approaches that have sort of built up over the years so it's not like coming at a situation just completely blank or completely empty. Mm -hmm. So the improvisation is more like you get to into the situation, you have this toolkit, you have this schematic, you have this framework, and then you kind of work with what's there architecturally mm -hmm. or spatially or whatever the constraints are of that mm -hmm. particular environment. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's maybe a little bit like um, how I've heard certain musicians talk about improvising, mm -hmm. like they're not just 
it's not just completely all brand new every single right. time. Like it comes with it. There's a structure of scales and notation and musical system and kind of stuff to draw on. Yeah, the yeah. language that you've developed for exactly. Which yeah, yeah. And then you have your own, you have your favorite sort of uh, little phrases or something that you can come back to repeatedly. So you, it's like you. You have a bit of a comfort comfort zone or like something mm -hmm. familiar, mm -hmm. and then you can, and then the challenge is to uh, when you step outside of that, mm -hmm. and that's when really interesting new stuff sort of starts to happen. Yeah, totally. Uh, for me, anyways. Yeah, but yeah. So, can you talk about the toolkit that you brought with you for the residency here? Sure. Yeah, it's um, it's a open source hardware. Uh, project and it's called a Neuromime and it's basically an electronic version of an organic neuron and it's an attempt to implement certain not all but certain fundamental properties of organic neurons in an electronic circuit and it's a design uh, that was, uh, the schematic was invented by Norman White, who was my electronics teacher and is still my mentor. And it's a project that has uh, myself, Norman, Stephen Kelly in Halifax, uh, Mafonwe Ashmore in Toronto just joined us. And uh, we're kind of working collectively on this, on this hardware device. And it's kind of a long-term, um, sporadic research project. So meaning like we all have other stuff that we're also working on but then every once in a while one of us will concentrate on some development for this project. Hmm. And what is their other their involvements? Uh, well Norman is basically the uh, he's like the dad. <laughs> <laughs> he yells uh, at all you guys? Yeah he's well no he's he's the sort of the it's it's his idea, okay. like yeah, yeah. He, it's his design, and yeah. then um, really what happens is mostly it's been Stephen and I who've known each other for uh, years, like since I went to graduate school in in Halifax, and I go back there. Uh, I've been going back in the summer times, and then we work in his studio uh, informally. On uh, he's a computer scientist, also mm -hmm. now as like artist turned computer scientist, so he's really interested in. Neural networks, neurological comp computation. So he brings that to it, ideas mm -hmm. from that field, and then we just kind of um, try out different experiments and uh, circuit topologies and stuff in in his uh, in his studio. And then Mafanway is also someone who I've known for for years, and uh, she's kind of a recent. Uh, um, she's kind of recently joined the project. It's open to anyone, like really. Mm -hmm. It's on GitHub, and if you want to fork it or copy it or whatever, it's possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so our next, after the Eastern Bloc uh, residency, our next thing will probably be in the summertime. We want to continue with this summer thing and make it a little bit more, um, instead of it just be me and Steven in his studio in Halifax, we want to do something at Norman's place. Uh, he has a, an, he lives in an old... Um, uh, grain mill uh, mm. on the Saugeen River, and we want to do kind of a Neuromimes summer school okay. thing. So with the three of you, or with more, more with, students? With uh, with uh, with the, at least the four of us, mm -hmm. and then more people just to kind of um, get some more um, momentum for the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. uh, we haven't really 
figured it all out yet, right, but we right. thought maybe it would start something with the core group mm -hmm. and then open it up to workshops and mm -hmm. um, Norman has a big party every summer to like, <laughs> so we kind of like tie it all into yeah, yeah, yeah. To one. Sounds uh, like a fantastic, yeah. fantastic thing to do for the summer. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so we're here during your office hour. And uh, open lab, open lab. I keep yeah. calling office hour because you yeah. told us that you wanted to keep the same hours as your office hours. Yeah, it's true. It's lab. true. It's true. Yeah. Well, I wanted to keep the same hours as actually. Well, I teach on Thursdays uh, in the uh, fall semester, right? And then I wanted to keep it. So right. it is like yeah. That's why I keep calling yeah. office hours. I don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> office hours, open, open lab, office yeah. hours, open office. Yeah, lab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, because that was a big part of your application when you applied for the artist residency program at Eastern Block and one of the reasons why we wanted you to do your residency here was because of this involvement. So I'm curious what you were hoping to get out of the open labs. Uh, really just a way of uh, talking to other people mm -hmm. uh, and meeting other people and I don't know I really like Eastern Block and it's literally down the street from me so I can get here quite quickly and uh, uh, just a way of, I mean, I was a long time ago, I was on the first board of Eastern Block, so it's a way of reconnecting and seeing what's going on in the lab. And a lot of the time, uh, as an artist, I'm kind of working in isolation mm -hmm. in the studio, and, which I like. I really enjoy that it's, it's time. It's like some of my favorite time, but I feel like it's nice to, to get out. Uh, and I felt that past projects that I've done where I've kind of opened it up a little bit and gotten some uh, feedback for the work in progress or just some discussion, it's really mm -hmm. helps improve the project and you can make better, better art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so mainly social and opening up and just getting into a situation where I could uh, just talk to other people and and uh, also see what they're working on mm -hmm. too and, and then maybe people would be interested in uh, working with uh, like becoming part of the what's it called like the uh, like a contributor or something mm -hmm. like that yeah yeah interesting yeah. so yeah so you this is like your second uh, open lab and then yep. I think you have two other ones before mm, one, one more one yeah. more and then your presentation yeah. Um, what do you, what are you going to present? Do you have an oh, idea? Oh, what am I going to present? Yeah. yeah, I'm working on a few things. Like I've, uh, I have kind of a fallback idea, mm -hmm. which is to present something that Stephen and I came up with in Halifax, which is basically a, a so there's these individual neuromime cells, mm -hmm. and then just uh, we have about um, thirty or forty cells. Mm -hmm soldered together. Mm -hmm. So the fallback idea is just to have a basically a network of cells more or less randomly connected mm -hmm. and kind of creating a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, the cells uh, and then they output an audio signal and then that audio signal is fed back in. Uh, like the audio signal would be say uh, uh, with a transducer like you know, made, make the, the wall vibrate or something like mm -hmm. that. And then there'll be some sort of pickup that'll be attached to the wall and like feed that back into the system. Mm -hmm. So to create some sort of feedback kind of loop. Mm -hmm. So that's a fallback thing. And that just sort of demonstrates a little bit like a, like a network of mm -hmm. neurons that are actually doing something in the, mm -hmm. in the real world. And then I've been working on a bunch of 
sort of variations of the circuit and mm -hmm. additions and modifications to the circuit, uh, maybe four or five of them. So mm -hmm. I was thinking of, this is not quite resolved yet, like, but maybe just a little sort of uh, uh, demo of each one or one of them. It'll have a very science fair-like feel, I think. So I'll have like one or two working things of mm -hmm. just the work in progress. And then I was thinking maybe of having some kind of didactic material like not text, mm -hmm. but just like drawings and mm -hmm. like you know blowing up pages from my sketchbook and this mm -hmm. sort of stuff like that. So oh, it's cool. there and and uh, yeah, great. Yeah, and I'm not sure what it'll. Uh, I'm, I'll try to make it as as like a, a user friendly as possible. <laughs> but you know, it's like when you're like really deep into this like yeah. specific type of subject. Like I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, uh, yeah, like I, there'll be something like lots of flashing lights and <laughs> and, uh, and like, I like weird that, sounds. I like to yeah. call that candy, <laughs> the flashing lights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there'll be something. There'll be some visual and audio kind of hooks right. there, okay. and then like with some kind of yeah, like I say, like very science fair type of feel. Nice. I think. Yeah. So, is is there any other besides this project? Are you have any other projects that you're currently working on as well? Uh, I always have uh, a lot of projects that I'm working on. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, is there another other one that's like gonna come into focus once the residence is done? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, one major project I'm working on simultaneously is at Concordia University, which is this thing called Embedded Faculty Initiative, and that's about taking. Uh, faculty from the arts, the fine arts, and trying to embed them in uh, research centers and laboratories around the rest of Concordia in engineering and the sciences okay. and this sort of thing. So I've been uh, visiting over the past year all kinds of different research labs and research centers mm -hmm. within Concordia mm -hmm. uh, University and just to basically get this art science thing yeah. kind of a one more to pro help provide one more kind of channel for this. Uh, Are you involved with that brain project? Oh, the Convergence project? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, maybe it's Convergence. Yeah, the one that's between McGill and uh, and Concordia. Not uh, peripherally. Okay. Uh, my, I just uh, thought with the, you know, neurons and brain. No, I, I know those people okay. and I was kind of involved at the beginning and then mm -hmm. it was basically, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not directly involved, but mm -hmm. they're, they're, uh, they're friendlies, they're colleagues. Okay. So I keep yeah. um, bugging them about coming here and yeah. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, maybe some of them will show up. Mm -hmm. Like, it'd be really great to talk to real neuroscientists. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it would be great for them, too. Like, that whole Convergence project is really interesting because they, like, they, um, you know, the scientists have their own kind of environment that they're normally working in. The artists mm -hmm. have their environment that they're normally working in. And I think it would be... Uh, really interesting for uh, scientists to come to somewhere like Eastern Bloc and kind of see where, like a, the lab like this, like see a like an art lab kind of thing, yeah, yeah. And, and and how like art's being made and researched and, and that sort of stuff. And I think they have been doing some of that stuff for that project, like been visiting different galleries and and whatnot. But I'm not sure if they've actually visited uh, places where the arts actually in the process of being researched or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good project. Yeah, it's like a 
they're uh, they're friendlies. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time and talking yeah. to us about your project. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me here. Yeah. Hopefully, there's there's some usable material in that. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think that'd be pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah. And 
that was all from this episode of Pirate Block Radio. A soft start to the new year by looking back onto past episodes from previous years. But believe me when I say that there will be plenty more where that came from. Tune in next month for a kickstart to the new season with new fresh material. First Thursday of the month between 8 and 9 p.m. Tune in to follow along and I will see you there. <laughs>